Hi, Stably. Hi, Jerry. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, I'm, I don't feel superior to you at all. Oh, that's not what your tone <laughs> insinuates. <laughs> your fancy car and your nice school district and all that. Yeah, neither of those things are true, sadly. Uh, we we both drive Kias. See, that makes us equal. Oh, I didn't realize you you joined the club. I told you. Uh, I didn't. I didn't realize it was a Kia. I'm sorry, but it's oh. an SUV, right? Well, it's not. It's one of these, like um, I can't say what I really want to say. Uh, little box cars, little short wow. cars. You know what I'm talking about? Let's say what you really want to say. Oh, con. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Um, okay, <laughs> take it offline. Uh, Stably, we are here to discuss today the end of equality by Mickey Kaus. The subtitle, it's the end of equality, colon, the venerable liberal crusade for income equality is doomed. The gap between rich and poor will keep on growing and no one knows how to stop it. It's time for the Democrats to try a different strategy. Yep. <laughs> is that really the subtitle or is that just like a... Um, I think it's just the end of equality. I guess so. Um, what's interesting is it has the... Because several of the words break yeah. at the end of the... Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what you want to call it. The margin, they have the little dash. Yeah. So this book was written in 1783. <laughs> um, yeah. I think the second edition uh, that we read is like a like a slapdash uh, kind of thing. Who's the author, Jerry? Well, didn't I say it's Mickey Kaus? I don't know if you did or not. I wasn't listening. Oh, uh, yeah. Friend, friend of the pod. Yeah, friend of the pod. Um, yeah. One half of the greatest podcasting duo outside Ever. of WAP. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the the inspiration for WAP, if you remember, if you recall, in the because, original, yeah. Because yeah, especially in the original, because I said if these two guys can have a podcast. <laughs> Wait a minute, Jerry. <laughs> what? <laughs> Never. It's fine. No one listens. Uh, yeah. So, so anyhow, um, what did you think? Should we? <laughs> well, okay. So if you, your, um, <clears throat> your, your, it's your pick, and you yeah. are way more into the cow's oh, lore than I am. So who is Mickey? Okay, Let's set so the Mickey Cows. So Mickey Cows is uh, a, a, a of far a right conservative, right? Yeah. So Mickey Cows is a journalist pundit um, that has had a storied career, and I think is totally underappreciated. Um, so Mickey Kaus basically started, I want to say he started at the Washington Monthly uh, under Charlie Peters and then um, was at the New Republic under uh, Michael Kinsley. So this is all very 90s. Like this, if you know anything about this stuff, this, this should be giving you like 90s flashbacks. Um, and he, uh, uh, he also was in Newsweek for a while. I think he covered the 88 uh, campaign uh, at Newsweek. I think he... What did he do? He had some scoops. I think. Um, oh yeah, he had the, he had one of the scoops that derailed the first. I think it was the first Biden campaign, with the uh, uh, the speeches that were um, plagiarized. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, so so that's Mickey. But Mickey was one of the first bloggers, right? So like very very early on, uh, he started Cow's Files, um, and it was a sensation at the time. Um, nobody was doing political blogging, which was just like little quick, you know, throughout the day hits of 
punditry, right? Imagine that. Kind of like time, tw- kind of like tweets. Kind of like tweets, but less, very, but less retarded. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> keep it or cut it. I don't care. I was gonna t- <laughs> uh, uh, related to what I couldn't say earlier. Um, <laughs> okay. The short car. I get it. <laughs> um. So he was one of the first bloggers, et cetera, et cetera. But so, but um, and he's just great. He's just like he's of this class of liberal pundits from the '90s, from from just the the, the heyday of the '90s that I, that are super contrarian. He he was um, he went so he moved his House Files blog to Slate. Yeah, so right. he, That's so he, how I know of it. Yeah, exactly. So he is from that class of. When, when basically the New Republic crew took over Slate or, or founded Slate, and Slate was good, right? So Michael Kingsley, who's awesome, um, Mickey Kaus, uh, Jack Schaefer, um, Bob Wright, like he's of that class that I just like, I think was the height of online whatever journalism. Right. Contrarian, irreverent, irreverent, excuse me, but also not, uh, but not, not quite, dumb. but not quite Slate pitchy yet. Not at all. Not really? at all. Slate Pitch came after. I think Slate Pitch became, I think Slate became a caricature of what they had started, and that is Slate Pitchy. Yeah. Right. Uh, so that's who he is, and and so then his big um, animating um, issue throughout his whole career um, has been basically he's a egalitarian. Right, he it's social equality for him is like the number one thing. He thinks you know where this country's gone wrong is in social, you know, is in the destruction of social equality. The social equality that um, he recounts in this book was enforced, <laughs> uh, I guess, by, by you know by force during World War II, um, and you know to him that was the pinnacle, and and he wants to get back to that. And he's always been, you know, that that's his north star, and so as a result, that's made him be a contrarian person on the left, right? And he definitely comes from the from the left. He he was an anti-war protester. He was, you know, he studied Marx, right? Like that's that's where he comes from. He also comes from uh Beverly Hills. Um yeah. like his his father was a judge. His mother comes from like um an artistic family, I think. Um but very but he comes from a professional class. Uh, he went to Beverly Hills High, went to Harvard. Um uh, Harvard Law, I should say. I don't know if you went to. I don't know where he went to undergrad. Uh, anyhow, um, small small college near Boston. I'm small sure. college, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, Mickey. Um, yeah. and, and let me just say, uh, so so what? So the, his focus on social equality um, makes him take positions that because you know he's not a cultural leftist, right? He's a social. Uh, egalitarian, and so what that means is, like for example, um, uh, you know, he wants make work, uh, which we'll get to. So he's, <laughs> against, but the unions don't like that, so he doesn't like the unions for that, right? Um, he um, wants uh, to limit trade and immigration, right? Because that, you know, will create more work here, um, and that flies in the face of. Um, Certainly, the open borders crowd that are now on the Democratic Party, um, but also, uh, you know, at the time when he was running in the '90s, the the free traders in the Democratic Party, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So he's always been this this person who's like this gadfly uh, on the left, 
and um, and when Trump came along, so he he's always said like we can make common cause with populists on the right, and so when Trump came along, like you know Trump or or, or whatever Trump represents was speaking his language, um, and uh, uh, and so he went along for that ride, but I think he regrets it at least at the very end, um, and and that's that. He also ran for Senate one time. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So okay. yeah, I'm a big fan, as you can I, tell. I can tell. I can tell. All right. So, <laughs> so that's Mickey, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I I know some some of these broad brushstroke outlines of his life. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I knew he was like a journalist and kind of like where he worked and kind of like, what would you? I mean, these people were like new Democrats or neo. They're like Bill Clinton types. Right, I not not him, I, but not the people him. that yeah, yes, he was I, around. I would say so. I would say yeah. like Mike Kinsley was, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, maybe not Charlie Peters so much, right? I think Charlie Peters was more like I think Mickey um, got a lot from Charlie Peters, who who I would say is really these guys are like neo um, neo New Deal you know Rooseveltians. Okay, Does that makes sense. Yeah, is that like old timey liberals then? Old timey liberals, yeah. yeah like, okay. and, and 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 I mean, you know, not. I mean, all these people are dead anyway, and like they're he, uh, ideologically wise, not. Yeah. Not not, not uh, corporally. He, he may not like me saying so, but I think there's a bit of noblesse oblige uh, in Mickey's sentiments, right? Which is which would be very Franklin Delano Roosevelt-y. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think you have to have that to be like. Sure. All interested in politics sure. anyway, unless you're libertarian. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I guess where I was going is so this book, uh, it's a book for Democrats. Yes, uh, it's written it's a, in the late '80s, early '90s, like Bill Clinton era, early Bill Clinton era, right? I think it was written so '89. Uh, I don't think so. Because um, okay. I, I said that last time because that's what like the, mm -hmm. um, but it says right here, copyright 1992. Uh, okay. Second edition, nineteen ninety-five. Okay, I yep. think this was before the election, though. So this was before Bill Clinton was elected. Yeah. So yes, yes, yes. So anyway, influential. Like, yeah. 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 So like that's the uh, that's the area in which it's written, and it's you know it's addressed to his fellow Dems, um, and you know just to kind of set set the scene some more, right? Like this is a somewhat wonky, right? But not really. Um, like piece of very long form journalism that's trying to convince Democrats yep. in the early nineties to, you know, uh, you know, change, change their program, change tack, change gears, whatever you want to say, uh, and move away from what he calls what money equality, right? Money liberalism, money liberalism. I'm sorry. So, yeah. so he basically says what we want, what, what liberals want. And one of the chapters is called what liberals want. What liberals want is social equality. So how do we get there? And he says there are different ways to get there. The the one right or different strategies, I guess one could say. Yeah. Uh, that can be proposed. The the dominant one in the Democratic Party is money liberalism, and this is an argument for them to uh, abandon money liberalism and adopt what he calls civic liberalism. Exactly right. So going into it, if someone were to pick it up and read it. Uh, it's definitely aimed at, at Dems, right? Yep. Um, but not in a cringy, super partisan way. Um, yep. I mean, 
you know. In, in fact, I, I'd say he he points out a lot of inconvenient truths, and it's it's a lot of uh, uh, strong medicine that he's kind of. Yeah, it's it's almost written like a thing you you write after you lose a a campaign, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, which I guess in a way like that that is exactly what it is, right? Because it's written at a time it, it's been eight years of Reagan, four years of Bush. Like right. liberals are running away from the liberal label. I mean, if you kind of grew up right. in the '90s in America, you know what I'm talking about. Like it right. became a dirty word. It still kind of is. Like nobody nobody calls themselves liberals really. They're right. progressives now. Um, so like he is performing, it's a post-mortem, but, but he uh, decided to publish it <laughs> instead of like sending it around DC or something. He probably had tried doing it and no one listened to him. Um, no, I, I think a lot of his book um, was in articles in like the New Republic and stuff. Okay. So, and by the way, we should say the punchline here is that this book was influential because it, you can you can draw a line between and, and and not that Mickey was the only one saying these things and there are a lot of factors but you can draw a line between this book and Bill Clinton saying you know the era of big government is over and reforming welfare and replacing it with workfare et cetera. right uh, which is something I I need to like pick your brain about because I am not a one oh, I, I don't know the history of like what happened or why it happened I don't either oh damn okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> can I well, say something can I say something though just just a, the reason why I picked this book mm -hmm. just because this is a really odd book for us to be doing and the reason is very simple it's because I'm a big fan of Mickey and I'd never read his book okay and and I'm like you know like and, and it seems relevant today right with because we're kind of back in a, in a place very similar to uh, the um, certainly the late seventies, uh, and right. and so I thought, why not, right? But <laughs> this is this book is like it's. I'm not gonna say out of date because the ideas here are basically timeless. Like you know, it, it's pretty. It's a it's a prescription that you could apply at any moment, right? Um, but yeah, but this book is is quaint or cute. At this point, I guess right. The specifics are yeah are definitely are are you could say they're out of date because they're referencing conversations and policies and and people who were who were a big deal uh, in the seventies and eighties and nineties and right. may not be so anymore. Um, right. So I okay. I want to pull back because I think I think I got us in the weeds. Like so, the no, book is the book is it's called End of the End of Equality. Right. So I guess it's a play on words as well. But he's talking about the not the death but the dying of civic or social equality in the united states mm -hmm. and the what he's trying to sell democrats on is kind of pulling back from money liberalism from kind of tax and redistribute checks in the mail just eat your social security and be happy you you pee on uh, <laughs> that type of liberalism <clears throat> which may or may not depending on your politics politics have come from a good place of Trying to help poor people, right? Um, so moving away from that and yeah. towards what he calls civic liberalism, which is taking the emphasis away from money. Yes. Not okay. Almost completely, but largely taking the emphasis away from money and putting it, putting the emphasis back on, I guess what you would you would call like civics or social interactions, um, and realizing that you're never going to make people equal in terms of money. In, right. in a capitalist society or even a non-capitalist society so like give it up that's that it can't happen and it only makes things worse um so you need to make 
quote, the public sphere or the public spheres larger to give people a different sphere, different area in which to be equal because you're right. not going to accomplish it with with money, wealth, income, any of right. it. And so, so yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So welfare, even though we're kind of talking about it, it is a big part of the book. It's like yeah. two two big old fat chapters, but it's not everything. So we don't no, wanna, I don't, no, I don't no. want to imply that this is like a book about welfare. No, no, form. no, it is not. But I just, but the reason I, 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 I drew that, I, you know, I pointed that out is because that is the one thing that he helped change the conversation to get reformed, right? Yeah. He was not successful in getting national service instituted, right? He was yeah. not successful in, in any of these other things that he, you know, we don't have parades uh, uh instead of vacations or whatever he says right yeah uh, he has not nationalized sports teams uh which is one of, one of the things he suggests um so yeah so i, I think that's all right i th so number one i think it's important to point out that he likes capitalism um uh he thinks you know capitalism is great like it's a, it's the engine of prosperity um i think he recognizes that and so um, he says, you know, we, we don't want to get rid of, we, we like capitalism. And if you're going to have capitalism, you're going to have uh, inequality. That's just a fact, right? Like, because otherwise, how do you get people to be entrepreneurs, right? You, you, there has to be a reward uh, for entrepreneurship, Like, right? So he, he points that all out and he says, we don't want to get rid of um, uh, wealth inequality uh, or income inequality, like that's not the point. The point is to have social equality and social equality means that people, even though um, uh, one might be poorer than the other, one might be richer than the other, they all, when, when they interact in the, on the street, at their moose lodge, in their church, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, when they serve together in the army, these people, rich or poor, whatever their class, um, they see each other as equals. And they treat each other with the same dignity and respect, et cetera. That that's what he wants. And so, how do you get there? Well, the the money liberals, the money liberalism says the root of all of this is uh, wealth inequality. And so, if we just have redistribution of money, um, we will get rid of uh, social inequality. And you know, he spends a good portion of the book explaining why that is um, wrong. And so he says, no, what you need to do is have civic liberalism uh, in order to get social equality. And civic liberalism is a series of programs to revitalize civic institutions and create new civic institutions that, as you say, create this sphere um, where money is meaningless within this sphere and people are all equal within, within that sphere. Yeah, exactly. You got it. Yeah. That's it. You said it. <laughs> All right, so do, parades. Do, 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 yeah, I like parades. Parade, I, parade, parade. You like parades? You don't I like love parades. parades. You hate people. You don't like the crowd. Establish. I like a good parade. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. So the, the you know so yeah the, the first few chapters he explains like what he's talking about what civic liberalism is versus money liberalism why you know the latter doesn't hasn't and never will accomplish. Um, the purported goal, <laughs> the stated goal of liberalism. Um, right. I guess he actually did. He work for the Carter administration for like six months or something. Yeah, because the, the, yeah. the book begins with him like being a fresh-faced young lawyer man coming to work in D.C., and then it, it transitions to like the 1980 election. <laughs> like everything is ruined. He yeah. basically says like the people I worked with destroyed everything that made liberalism great. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was that was really good. He, yeah, yeah. he straight out of college. I think, I think he worked 
he went to work at the FTC. Okay. And he was basically an FTC lawyer for whatever, a year or something before he like gave that up and went into journalism. But yeah, he basically says, yeah, the people I work with, um, you know, they focused on criminal rights and, uh, and, 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 you know, more welfare and, you know, giving unions more power, et cetera. And yeah. 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 I mean, it's the kind of liberalism that like Rush Limbaugh would yell about. Correct. Or I guess we're kind of yelling about now. Uh, right. Anyway, so um, yeah, so okay, so he establishes like this. This won't work. Um, it hasn't worked, and um, it's actually costing Democrats elections. I think that's also key. Like he's not saying, yeah. he's not saying like um, this is a great idea and it will never work and you'll never get elected. I think he does try to make a case that you know this could get you elected. That's important for politicians. Uh, and then he, you know, he kind of starts going through what the alternative is right so um what civic liberalism is what like these different spheres are um you know he he has a whole chapter on like inequality right so one of our perennial topics mm-hmm. uh, like social inequality versus just material inequality uh, he has some great lines or he has some great quotes about um, like from orwell visiting uh, spain during the civil yeah. war and just talking about how like like waiters were uh, like little sniveling lackeys at one point. And then I guess like the Republicans, the Spanish Republicans like came up, came in and like killed everyone <laughs> who had, uh, who had any, any money. And the, the waiters would like look you in the face, right? They weren't scared. Like that's, the, I think it's important to like identify, like what does he mean by social equality? It isn't right. like everyone is equal. It isn't that, you don't secretly think that you and your class or your family are better because that's really hard to stamp out. And he doesn't say that that's the goal. He says that's impossible. Like it's just the way it is. Like people are always going to kind of self-identify with a group, but at least in public interactions, even if you are, it's not even like in church, it's, it's if, just, you're, if you're talking to a waiter, you don't treat them like garbage. And, and, the it, wait, and the waiter doesn't expect to be treated like garbage. Exactly. I think that's more, it's kind of the more important. I don't think he comes out and says it, but the way he talks, I think he, he's putting emphasis on it. It's not just that um, when you're having an interaction where, you know, you, you know, you, you're the wealthy customer at a restaurant and you have a waiter who's making minimum wage or whatever. Um, it's that in that interaction, and he says that this is the way it was in Republican Barcelona when Orwell visited, that there's dignity, that the waiter is is dignified in his job and he looks you in the eye and he's expected to be treated with respect and he doesn't feel inferior to the person that um, he's serving. Um, it's just a job that he's doing and the other guy has got his job, right? Um, and and the emphasis is not just on the on the guy, on the, on the customer not feeling superior, it's on the waiter not feeling, inf- like not accepting his inferiority. Right, he says what happens when you get when you have welfare and when you have the uh, decimation of all these other civic institutions is that you know and basically success and status is equated with money and uh, and maybe we'll get into it, it, it you know success that's driven by uh, uh, by brains basically when that when 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 status is is equated with money and that. Uh, people, you know, the losers end up feeling like they're losers and they accept their status and they become an underclass that of people who, you know, 
uh, like accept that they become incels or whatever, right? Because they, they accept that they will never be part of mainstream society and it, that they will not be treated uh, equally, et cetera. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know if you ever watched Parks and Rec, but there's that. Wait, you're breaking up. Hello? 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 Okay. okay, you're back. A Parks and Rec episode. Uh-huh. I have only seen the clips because I did not watch the show. It's Fred Armisen, and he's like a visiting Venezuelan oh, yeah. uh, like dignitary. And um, it's one of uh, one of the staff to peel the banana for him. Because he, they don't peel bananas themselves uh, where he's <laughs> from. And the guy is like, I I'm not peeling a banana for you. And he just like throws a wad of money at him. <laughs> and he says, right? Like that that's that's social inequality right there. It's not right. the fact that like, you know, it's it's not the money. It's the I'm gonna throw money at you. I'm not gonna look you in your eye, in your eyes, and you're gonna peel a banana for me. Right. Um, so yeah. And he he describes why the situation is getting worse. Again, like the book or the essays are written in the eighties, and uh he hits some of our favorite notes. He talks about meritocracy. He yeah. talks about a sort of mating and like the mm -hmm. dreaded like IQ question and how heritable it is. Yep. Um, and kind of, I don't say he dances around it. He's pretty firm in what he believes, but he basically says like whatever is causing. Yeah, he dances uh, around it. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, whatever is causing a sort of mating to happen and to perpetuate itself, um, it's it is happening. Um, you know, smart, successful people are marrying each other, and also basically segregating themselves from everyone else um and if, if it continues this way it's uh he kind of makes a point yeah he, he he discusses that you know americans are social egalitarians but it doesn't always have to be the case right. that if this keeps going for a few more generations um like social egalitarianism might die off as a like a political ideal yep. in the united and, states and a big chunk of this book is basically uh, mini version of common of uh, losing ground uh, by Charles Murray, right? And he mm -hmm. also and he quotes Murray and he quotes Hernstein uh, in here. And basically, he does dance around it because he basically says, uh, "How do you put it?" He he expresses the, so he portrays Murray as being cold hearted, um, mm -hmm. and uh, and he you know expresses that what Hernstein is. Is, is suggesting would be a nightmare, uh, but he never refutes it, right? Like he, or he never, he basically, he basically does enough to express liberal um, unease with these ideas, but basically he's saying, yeah, but they're, they're right. You know, <laughs> sure. Well, I, I guess he gets away with it by saying, like, you know, we don't really know. We don't know, but if we it, don't know, yeah. but it, it, whatever the case is, this is um, happening. It's happening, and it, it's no longer that the boss marries a secretary. The boss marries another the other boss. boss, right? Yeah, and um, so whether it's IQ or just social class or luck. Uh, or whatever, um, yeah, these people are marrying each other, living with each other, having precious little children named Jeremiah and Caitlin. And um, mm. they're not, they're not rubbing shoulders at all, uh, even in the boudoir uh, with like people from different classes. Right. So um, this is the chapter, I guess, what's it called? What kills social equality? Or what, you know, kills equality? Yeah. what killed equality? So yeah, yes. First he says income inequality is what done it. And he, 
he basically says, no, not really. Like yeah. income inequality did not kill social equality. Then he goes on to meritocracy. And I think he puts more emphasis on that mm -hmm. as a likely driver. And also uh, what's going to make the situation even worse in the future. And then he goes to, I think, his like preferred suspect. Uh, he calls him suspect, <laughs> suspect right. number three. So the, the decline of the public sphere. Right. Right. And that's what most of the book is focused on is reviving the public sphere. He has this in this section. Oh, yeah, it is like a list of all the other men who served on JFK's. Uh, yeah, that was it? very good. It was a patrol boat, PT boat. Yeah. yeah. And it's just a bunch of a lot of randos. I mean, JFK is not like JFK in 1940, whatever, but he's still like a, like a huge person. Like he's a nationally known like person and the son of a very wealthy uh a wealthy guy and he's just surrounded by like lumberjacks and high school dropouts and the occasional like football player uh and that sort of thing but it's like a total mix of like well Classic. white white yeah. america yeah like there's no yeah i mean he is basically the top of the one percent and he's working with a guy that never finished high school and not just working these guys are putting their lives on their line for each other yeah Right, exactly. and he talks about how people, um, would people who served in World War II, uh, no matter the class, um, remained friends, lifelong friends with their people who they served with, right? So to him, and this is very, this is a very liberal thing, right? To him, like <laughs> World War II and the sacrifices you had to make for war, uh, are is very appealing and very attractive, right? This is a search for the moral equivalent of war. Um, he 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 likes that right and and throughout the book there there are parts where i don't think he realizes but he's quite militaristic <laughs> sure uh, yeah um and this uh, like bringing back the draft <laughs> yeah so is so, an option so basically he yeah you know, he says so he says money inequality is not at all the cause like and he he explains all the reasons why and and uh, I'm not going to do the math right now, but he shows that um, uh, when, you, especially because you've had as much growth as you had, um, uh, you know, people were better off now than before, et cetera. So, like, it wasn't like it, it wasn't the the, the money uh, inequality, the meritocracy stuff, the basically the Hernstein Murray stuff. He like agrees with ultimately, and then he's saying, but the the real problem is that the antidote the antibody that we have for that kind of thing uh which is our public sphere is crumbling and that's the problem the problem we have to fix is the public sphere and if we fix that then the meritocracy problem won't be so bad or bad at all because you know jfk will be forced to serve with lumberjack that's exactly it. yeah and so, uh okay. yeah no, no. So what? Uh, so what caused the the decline of the public sphere? And by the way, by public sphere, what do we mean? Uh, I made a list of things he says are in the public sphere: schools, libraries, parks, museums, post offices, sports leagues, parades, uh, streets and subways, uh, military service or national service, uh, a national health service. He would add. Um, so stuff like that. Stuff where people you know uh, have to mix together you know because it's it's an it's a nationally civically provided thing 
Right. There's no uh, there's no cover charge. There's nobody. Uh, right. Yeah, you can't pay extra to get in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Or, can, or, but, I mean uh, but it's but like movie, it, movie theaters, right? Everybody yeah. sees the same movie. You all pay the same price, basically, et cetera, et cetera. So he says, what caused the decline? Well, he, first he points out to like technology, right? So TVs and VCRs uh, allow you to, uh, you know, not go to the movie theater. So you can just seclude yourself in your own home. Mm -hmm. uh, he points to automobiles, right? So you don't have to ride the subway anymore. You can be driven around or whatever. Um, okay, so you got that. Then you got uh, zoning. Uh, uh, so, you know, very much a... Oh, God, what's your name? Who wrote the book about New York? Jane Jacobs. Jane Jacobs. So Jane Jacobs, see stuff here. Then uh, his big boogaboo, uh, suburbanization, which he hates. <laughs> which I guess is driven by, well, I guess it's it's a mutually reinforcing loop of suburbanization and uh, criminality and homelessness in the urban core uh, or whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, these things all contribute, VCRs and uh, cars. But uh -huh. I think the reason he spends so much time on welfare reform is... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he recognizes that the, the real thing causing the yeah. real cause of most of this is the creation of an incredibly violent, unruly, unmanageable urban underclass yeah. and the resulting like flight out of, you know, the core urban areas and then just out of cities period, which just further reinforces. Right. The, which makes the, the, yeah. Yeah. Which makes, which makes the, parks, libraries, museums, uh, post offices, schools, all uh, un, livable right at and, least there yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah which makes like cities subways right like yeah which makes mixing of classes which is the important Untenable. thing right yeah yeah in 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 cities so like libraries and parks i grew up in suburbia i guess you kind of did too maybe yep. like we also had parks and libraries <laughs> uh these existed i went to them but uh the key issue for mickey here is that um it's the same people of the same class right. so when you move to a nice suburban area they definitely have parks and baseball leagues and libraries and movie theaters and all that stuff. And everyone is very nice to each other, eh, more or less Midwest nice. Uh, but it's very easy to do it because you're kind of all the same, right? Yeah. Like um, everyone is maybe lower middle class, maybe to like upper middle class. Maybe there's yeah. a few rich people. There are no, there is no underclass in a lot of the suburbs. So yeah. like, but you or, also drive to the theater, watch the movie and then get back in your car and go back home sure yeah right like there's no yeah yeah like public transportation may not exist but even so like there are still lots of it, it's not like social life is dead in those places it's just not egalitarian yep. right it's not you are completely segregated from uh, people who aren't like you and that's that's what he wants to fix it's not necessarily that he thinks suburbs are bad i mean he kind of does but it's more like what caused these things to exist in the way that they do and then and, the yeah just the other thing so so i think it's up so you're right like the uh, the tv and vcr it, it, i'm not i don't want to put the same weight on that as yeah, the sure. creation of an underclass right <laughs> yeah uh, uh but it, i would add one more thing that he basically uh, you know highlights which is the end of the draft yeah uh yep. right yeah so like the end of national service um for you know obvious reasons People, uh, well, certain people, <laughs> lots of people didn't want that anymore. Uh, they don't like sending their kids off to war. They would rather let poor well, people 
It's Vietnam. Of, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's Vietnam. Um, middle and upper middle and rich Americans were like exactly. not in, in, not into doing that. Uh, yeah. So they're, um, yeah, I guess the idea here was, it was pretty selfish, right? It's like, I don't want my kid possibly being drafted. I don't even want that risk. I don't want the interruption in, um, in Caleb's, you know, schooling. So, um, we'll just let the poor people sign up for the army. Cause that's the only thing they're good for anyway. Yeah. I mean, not to put, you know, <laughs> not to be totally uh, cruel about it, but I, I think that's what Mickey's viewpoint is, right? It's like, this is a way to, this was a way for people of means to not have their kids' lives ruined or at least interrupted. Yep. Um, but as he says, it was one of the major mixers, right? This is like where everybody potentially ended up together, working together. And um, right. yeah, and... It, it, as he points out, like a lot of people don't actually want this. <laughs> right, like right. they they don't want to mix with people outside of their class, e even aside from like fear of being mugged and dealing with the underclass as he defines them. A lot of people are snobby, right? They don't want, especially the richer you are. Like, no, I'm not interested in like being around these yeah, people. Yeah, but but I think I I think as he as he says you know many times that Americans are naturally you know socially social egalitarians, and there is not. Like, sure, that snobbishness is part of human nature, but in America, it's nowhere like, let's say, England, right? Uh, there's not that class um, snobbishness. And so, really, it's not about that. It's about the fact that there's this underclass that you are terrified of and that you will, you know... Uh, yeah, I agree. That's that's the bigger issue. Uh, and, and again, that's why you spend so much time dealing with welfare exactly so why why do we get hello oh, here. <laughs> uh, your your internet is this crumbling uh, infrastructure oh i totally agree yeah um we need some, some to draft <laughs> some poor ghetto folk to come <laughs> lay some fiber into my house well, uh, well let's so talk can, about that we're, so we're, gonna, can, we're gonna get to that yeah okay so um uh so why do we have this underclass um and, he, and Tell me if he points uh, to other things. I feel like he does, but like he kind of points a finger at welfare. And in particular, he tells the story of AFDC, uh, which is what, uh, oh God, what's that stand for? Um, oh, Aid to Families with Dependent Children. Correct. Yeah. Which was a small program. So when Roosevelt did the New Deal and did Social Security, um, all assistance and in, and including social security, which is was not is not assistance, right? But a pension scheme in a way. Um, everything was tied to work, right? And he, you know, Mickey talks about how Reagan would always quote when it, whenever Reagan would rail against welfare, he would quote Roosevelt, and this quote of Roosevelt, where Roosevelt said, you know, um, you, you have to work um, for what you earn. And that's where dignity comes from. And we don't want to give handouts. We want to give a hand up or whatever, right? Like, and we don't want to, you know, like basically if you're ain't working, you can't expect any help from us, et cetera. Right. Right. Like we are not running a dull system. We're not running a dull. Yeah. Yeah. This and is, yeah. yeah. So this is a great quote from Roosevelt. Uh, and Roosevelt really believed that. And, and what he says that what Reagan and others who use that quote neglect to mention is that that quote is from, Roosevelt's speech introducing and hailing social and social security uh, uh, program. Uh, and he's like, yeah, because social security is basically tied to work. You don't get social security unless you've worked. Um, but he says that 
in the New Deal, in the introduction of Social Security, um, and, you know, and all those programs, they wanted to accommodate. Uh, basically, I mean, I guess Social Security has a widows program, but basically, single mothers, right? Which at the time was like the tiniest of populations. And it was a population that was kept in check because nobody wanted to be a single mother, right? right. It was it was stigmatized. It was it, you know, from, uh, it, it just was not something that um, that you wanted to be. And so you had this tiny program that was not tied to work, um, where you got basically aid enough to live on if you were a single mother with dependent children. And by the way, it was for mothers, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, it was literally a safety net. It was like, we, we yeah. know that we are covering 95% of people with this program, mm -hmm. but there are a few people who through no fault of their own or, right. you know, maybe an innocent bad luck. Yeah, or bad luck, you know, they've ended up in this situation. They're not bums. They're not like yeah. hobos traveling around on top of trains. These are people that are suffering. So we're going to, you know, we're going to have a small little program for them. This will never, ever become a huge albatross around this, her neck. This will never oh. metastasize. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so he yeah. points out that it, it metastasized, right? So, you, and basically it's like everything else, uh, it's like all liberalism, right? Like where's, there's no limiting principle, like, uh, you know, well, if this is good, then more of it must be better, right? Mm -hmm. And so like they used to have um, uh, checks to see if there, you know, if it was a fit home, if, if, if there was a man in the house, uh, uh et cetera et cetera and if there was a man in the house or a a gentleman caller at night or whatever um they would take away the benefits um but of course you can't do that right like once you have women's lib or whatever right you can't do that et cetera et cetera um and so this program explodes um and then money liberals seeing this they realize oh wow we're incentivizing women to have kids so they can basically be on the dole and not keep their partners around, right? And so we're mm -hmm. institutionalizing, you know, we're breaking up. So this is the, the, the breakdown of the uh, uh, of the black family, Moynihan, et cetera. Uh, so we're doing this. So so if, if we're incentivizing um, uh, the breakup of families in order to, you know, if we're incentivizing it with, with, the, with, with this cash <laughs> system, mm -hmm. maybe what we need to do is not require the, this to be based on uh, not having a father in a home. So we'll just give cash to families that just don't work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you release the lions to kill the gorillas. It's, <laughs> it's, it's obvious. It's logical. Yeah, yeah. so, so Mickey's, yeah, Mickey does a, a much better job of explaining it than, than yeah. I'm doing right now. But yeah, but this program metastasizes. You know, it's a tiny, tiny program, and it, and it grows up to be uh, millions and millions and millions. Uh, I think like six, seven million people are are on this program. And it, whereas it used to be a program that people got out of, right? Like maybe they were in it for a couple of years. It became something that people just were on for really extended lengths of time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he kind of, you know, he, he presents his take on how we got to live. I'm sorry, welfare as they knew it in like right. the eighties and nineties, not, not anymore. But oh, this, and, this and, is what, yeah. And just, sorry, just to put the cherry on top. And the point is, is that this, is what enables the uh, underclass economy to work, right? Because without this, they would starve, right? They would, it would have to find, they would have to move to where the jobs are, 
they would have to like be disciplined, show up on time for work, or else you don't eat, right? But this, this little bit for this segment allows um, the uh, the underclass economy to function, or you know, basically yeah. gives it the, the 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 floor. Yeah, and he has an interesting section in there. It's, I mean, it's kind of relevant about like, does is it welfare that creates the underclass? Or is it welfare that just allows the underclass to continue? Is it, right. like you said, is it enabling an underclass to just simply exist? Because right. again, like welfare queens driving Cadillacs aside, like this is not a lot of money. It right. is kind of, it's kind of designed to not be a lot of money. Obviously, like the people that built it weren't that stupid, right? It is like kind of just enough to survive um, and not thrive, right? That's the whole idea. So right. not only are you kind of perpetuating the system, um uh, like his big emphasis on work is on work like the people don't value work anymore so not only are you killing like the work ethic people aren't even they're not even getting a good deal out of it right so like that's why everyone is so poor um in these ghettos um both black and white so it's not just a black thing although reading this you would just imagine like yeah it pretty much is <laughs> um but he like, says he says as much he says let's not kid ourselves yeah, yeah. So it is largely like people are people are scared of like the black underclass in urban centers. Like, yeah, that's what they're afraid of. But you know, it affects white people and welfare just the same. You know, it's they don't work and they're poor, and um, it enables that culture to perpetuate for generations because people don't um, people you can at least survive, right? And you see no reason to change your ways. You see no way out, um, and the kind of jobs that are on offer, as he points out, <clears throat> you take those jobs, you're a chump, right? right. Like you get paid nothing uh, or very little. You're not going to save any money and you can just kind of coast by on welfare and some petty crime and odd jobs and kind of be, do the same thing uh, or be in the same place. So that is his big kind of overarching you know, problem with, with welfare. Uh, it destroyed America, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And, and his point is that when he when now maybe now we move to the solutions part um but his point is is if you you need to you need a common base so first he wants to destroy welfare in order to destroy the underclass right and we'll get to how, uh, well, how he wants to, to do that to help well, <laughs> by that i mean destroy, destroy the existence of an underclass right i guess i don't know he doesn't want to liquidate the people yes quite the contrary why don't we kill all the poor people <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so that's one, but two, he says, if we're gonna have civic equality or social equality, we need to have a common value. Mm -hmm. And that common value that we can all share is work, right? And so work for him is like the most important thing. So what, how does he want to get rid of welfare? He basically wants to uh, uh, turn it into a work-tested program. So not just work-tested. So he basically says, you don't, you don't get assistance unless you work. And number two, in order for the, for us to make sure that it work for everybody, we're going to create a uh, WPA style public, you know, like works program where mm -hmm. basically 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 wants to have a national job guarantee uh, for everybody. And it, if you yeah. want a job, there will be a job for you, and uh, it's going to be a job that's provided to you at the low minimum wage, so it's not competing with the private sector, I guess. Uh, and and then there's going to be assistance to get you to subsistence level 
Yeah, yeah. So again, Mickey is a liberal Democrat. Yeah. So you know he's not just like let's get rid of welfare and um, you know turn them all into soya. Uh, <laughs> so his idea, in broad strokes, is like you said, it's a works. It's a job guarantee that gets you to like at or slightly above the poverty line because as he says like if you pay people to work except but they're still below the poverty line that's stupid it's not going to really do anything um so you do need to pay people enough um to make it worthwhile to have this job um, he also has stuff about like bringing everyone up to that level which <laughs> is kind of his little throwaway line seems an incredibly yeah. system of like we're going to monitor what everyone gets paid and if you are paid too little money the government will guarantee like a you know a, they'll, top. They'll, top, they'll top you up which and totally totally yeah. doesn't seem like it's open for abuse but anyway yeah, uh, but yeah. He, and his point is basically you want to you want to still have an incentive for people to move out of the wpa job into mm -hmm. a private sector job that pays more exactly so and coupled with the a jobs guarantee is a guarantee of no money if you don't have a job basically Correct. like so he's pretty he's pretty blunt about it that barring a few extenuating circumstances and like some like runway time if you don't have a job either with this system or ideally in the private sector after a while you are kind of on your own like you're gonna have to feed you and your kid somehow and it's not going to be the government doing it Right. Uh, at all. So there is like, there is no like safety mat at the bottom, right? There's a safety net, but if you fall through because of your own bad decisions, you're gonna have to beg or get charity or live with family or do something else. So like, the, you know, I, I think that that's what makes this different from yeah. what I imagine most people would propose, which is some version of welfare as they had it, but we'll ask people to work, which is like, well, nobody's going to do that uh, <laughs> or very few people will do that because they, they definitely had like work uh, fair systems before yeah i don't know so this is this is where i um where i'm ignorant and i should have looked it up you sure. know what happened after this book right like what happened mm -hmm. what, what were the clinton uh gingrich reforms right yeah and how has that worked out um i guess i i'm, I'm ignorant uh about that so i'm not going to try to talk maybe um, mickey can write a new book maybe he could yeah. um yeah. So, so I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But, but 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 certainly what what didn't happen. What certainly didn't happen was what Mickey proposed, right? A guaranteed job program run by the federal government. Where, and by the way, he he goes through what these jobs would be, which was like super fanciful. Um, <laughs> well, are are they fanciful? Uh, some of them are. Oh sure. Like a lot of them have that he mentions in the book have been replaced by uh, computers. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're again <laughs> written in the like 1990 or something. Um, yeah. Sure, but you know, but anyhow, the, yeah, the, the, the New Deal—they were like building dams and exactly yeah. public parks and highways and and fixing this and that. Like you'd not have every, to get you'd yeah. have to get rid of the administrative state uh, to to do that. Yeah, no, this is interesting. Sure. Right? So, like, yeah, I, like I can see here the you know why he's in the place that he is politically right where he's like in no man's land um but i wonder right i mean would libertarians and natcons accept like a new fusionism shall we call it would they would, could you accept um something like as crazy as this 
in return for basically getting rid of the administrative state, right? Which, I think, which by the yeah. way, the reason I say that is because it prevents any anything like the Hoover Dam from ever being built again. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think NatCons would. NatCons right? would. Because yeah. they're not they're not small government types at all. But yep. no, libertarians obviously wouldn't. Yeah. But nobody listens to them anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So it's it is again. He's a liberal Democrat. So this is not a hey, let's shrink the size of government. Yeah. And it's a win-win for everybody. Vote for me. It is like, this is going to cost more. <laughs> We're going to have to draft your kid. Uh, yeah. To, so, you know, at the very least, they're going to be like working in old folks' homes or something. Yeah. Um, or bailing hay. Are, yeah. yeah. Can I, so here's something that I, uh, uh, a little quote I highlighted uh, from that part of the jobs program section. Uh, quote, a neo-WPA would have to learn to work with the dregs of the labor market. Parts of the program would have to be relatively authoritarian, even a bit militaristic. <laughs> so here's my question. And by the way, we should have said that the that the other thing before he talks about this, he he talks about create about basically reinstituting the draft and combining mm -hmm. it with a national service program. So you're either going into the military or you're going to go do like two years of uh, of national service. Um, so that's step one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so my question is, why not combine these? Right? Why not say if you don't have a job, you will be drafted into the military, or, uh, <laughs> or, or, or you will be impressed into work? Right. Well, I mean, I think it is basically impressed into work. No, because here you have a choice. Well, uh, if he's okay with the draft and he's uh -huh. okay with with mandatory national service, right? Right, and he doesn't have you know constitutional concerns with these things, then why not have basically a draft for people who are to work well I, I guess everyone is subject to the draft so you're going to get people like that anyway anyway all, yeah, yeah. but also if you do that the the military becomes the place where the dregs of society are and that's, that's not what I, yeah well i know but you know but not really right it's like people do join who aren't completely useless yeah like i don't think they would take you if you're just wandering off the street like and by the way, I'm asking that question in jest. No, no. I, I, but I'm I think just it's taking good... what, his, what he's saying to his logical conclusion. Yeah. But I guess what he would say is if you do that, you have turned something that's socially egalitarian in the public sphere, i.e. a right. draft-driven yeah, yeah, yeah. military, into a place where we just hold uh, like a petty prisons. criminals. Yeah. yeah. It's basically a convict army. Yeah. So, like, ooh, that's probably not going to work politically. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, nor would you probably have very good experiences if you are JFK and your PT boat is full of like. Um, no, but of course you, you. But of course you would segregate these people, right? <laughs> oh, sure. There you go. So, so, so my point, my point being that, hey, Mickey, uh, you're so fine. You, you blow my mind. No, but hey, Mickey, um, if you if we start on this path, that's what's going to happen. Oh, like the the draft part or the yeah uh, the workfare part. If we get rid of, if we get rid of. Uh, no, the, the draft part is what's going to happen, right? We're going to draft the... Well, I think, the, the I guess the point is, like, there are lots of jobs to go around. I, I actually do believe that. Like, it's there's plenty, do, of, yeah. there's plenty of stuff for people to do. And it might mean having a fight with, like, labor and construction unions. But, like, I, are you telling me, like, the roads don't need fixing? Yeah. And, I mean, that's a job that it's not make work. It literally has to be done over and over and over again because, they're you know, people drive on them, they get destroyed... I know that lots of like digging holes and filling them up again is, is stupid for for every reason. Uh, but you could get people, especially if they're young men, to do pretty harsh construction 
type work or forestry or, or whatever, right? Yeah. Like I'm sure there would be, and he, he points out like, yes, there's going to be a lot of nonsense and BS and waste. And, but the point is like, is it better than the current system? Right. Can I say I, something like, I, I, th yeah. I think Mickey is so refreshing that when he, he throughout the book and even today, when you hear him talk, he is always completely transparent and open about the fact that what he's proposing is going to be economically wasteful and inefficient. And he's like, yeah, yeah. we're, we're going to have uh, the program like this is going to be totally inefficient and wasteful. Um, if we um, limit free trade, uh, have protectionism, that is economically inefficient. If we close the borders, that's going to raise you know, labor costs. But that's the point. Because yeah. what he cares about is social equality. And he's willing to give up all of this uh, economic. Uh, to some uh, extent, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely right. So, like, yeah. Mickey, where's the line? Um, and but anyhow, I, I think this is why libertarians reading something like this, it just would not compute. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, it kind of computed with me. It's like you know, yeah, but you're not a libertarian, Sam. Oh, stop! Come on now. <laughs> where's my Where's my human action book? <laughs> it's, it's propping up the side of the house. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, no. I mean, I think you just again, you have to go into it. It's like, okay, like this is he's not a libertarian. Like, there's no reason to get mad at him for like, you want to bring back the draft, but that's that's not good. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's it's fine. It's it's he's coming from at it from a different point of view. Um, but um, I don't know if I agree with you that it would devolve into a draft. Um, it might devolve into a lot of nonsense make work. Right. I mean, the, the the problem is it would just become another welfare scheme. And um, it, it, underlying all of this, at least to me, I don't know if you ever made it clear is, isn't the hope that eventually you fix, you quote, fix the underclass problem and this program doesn't have to be as large as it is. I think he says that. I think he, uh, yeah. He, he it, yeah. I mean, I know he, maybe he's just being super honest and he doesn't want to say like, no, no, this these people are always going to exist and um i mean to a lesser extent than now but like you're always going to have to have this and it's it will cost money and you know, you know all those things like you're gonna have to pay more in taxes but at least it will get rid of the underclass in a good way it will bring them up um it'll get rid of the under under of the class right right like, it gets yeah, rid of yeah. that culture right so they but become working class or even middle class who knows i think he does say that right okay. um I, I think he does at some point say something uh, basically like there also, there's always going to be a need for this or people who are like um uh out on their luck um but eventually you're gonna integrate this class right and right. so now you'll have a a lower class uh you'll have poor people but it's not going to be an underclass it, to him this this will you you know you will eliminate the underclass um <laughs> they will be liquidated yes yeah yeah it goes from like 20 million people to two right a few generations and those are the right. people that actually are Needed. like deserving yeah. poor or whatever they're just going through something yeah um yeah well so, yeah go ahead so i mean i know we're kind of harping on it there are other ideas in the book but it seems like this is the thing that he's really yeah so can i uh, yeah so i wrote down he's got three stages to civic liberalism uh stage one is daycares so we didn't talk about that but like guaranteed daycare for everybody and the idea is that daycares unlike school like schools people are are, are concerned about um class mixing there like who, do, who does your kid go to school with uh, affects your kids 
future success. So you're going to be careful about that. Whereas with daycare, you really don't care, right? You were talking about like from zero to uh, four year olds. Um, That's the most important year. Yeah, right? yeah. Don't you know? Yeah. So he he wants daycares where there's class mixing. So national daycare system, great. Uh, two, bring back the draft. Three, institute a national service. So if you don't if you don't go to the military, you go into national service. Four, a national healthcare system. Yeah, he he wants full blown. So he spent some time talking about that. Uh, and then five. This is all stage one still. A democratized political access. So by that he wants basically, uh, and he comes out and says it. It's so refreshing that he doesn't beat around the bush. He says, let's just say that um, money is not speech, and uh, and basically have um, federally funded campaigns. Mm-hmm. And I will say that several times he points out that the big problem here are primaries and that we don't have parties. But anyhow, I'll, I'll, I'll just, no, no, I'll go just on. No, I'll, I'll just fill, I'll, filibuster on that for now. <laughs> I'll, I'll just say that. Um, but anyhow, uh, yeah, he, he basically, he says basically if, if participation in politics is tied to money, then, you know, you're not equal. You're not socially equal. So let's really have the ballot box be the tool of social equality that it's meant to be or that it should be. And uh, so let's just get money out of politics completely by um, publicly funding elections. It's interesting because um, the, the the small dollar revolution, uh, I kind of, I wonder what that does to his argument. But anyhow, that's stage one. Stage right. two is target the underclass by eliminating welfare and replacing it with work, which we just discussed. And then stage three is democratize the suburbs and schools. So you still have the problem of, okay, fine. So you got rid of the underclass in the urban core, but people still moved out to the suburbs and people have self-segregated in that way. So you're still going to have, so what do you do? And what he wants to do basically, which made no sense to me, but through, (laughs) through zoning and I don't know what he somehow stuff waves magic hands he wants to basically fix the problem of the existence of suburbs which he does not like and uh and schools and so he has like crazy shit and this is the craziest (laughs) thing he's got crazy shit like like what are the object like you know what are the objections like why do we have suburbs and and it's like well you know um you want to have zoning that segregates housing from 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 you know, this isn't like New York City where you have tenements on top of like shops next to uh, an industrial plant next to a meatpacking thing, right? And he just, so this is a quote that I wrote down, which I thought was funny. Quote, the architectural objection, for example, can surely be overcome in part by better design and traffic controls. And it's like, Mickey. Well, I mean, you yeah. can't, right? So this is like it, Arlington, no, right? This could. is the orange quarter, right? Yeah. Yeah, the orange quarter is kind of, the orange line quarter is kind of that, and that's the whole idea, right? Is all building paper. That's the paradise. No, he's fine with paradise. Right. You're breaking up. Stably. Sorry, folks. Stably's been having internet issues. I, I've been having internet issues, yeah. Sorry to get about the orange corridor. Yeah, like if, if for 12 listeners who probably do all live in Arlington, Arlington, Virginia, right? The Orange Line corridor is this section of Arlington, Virginia, above the Orange Line Metro, the yeah, the Metro Orange Line. And the, the whole idea is you have tall buildings right 
on the main street and then they taper down until you have residential neighborhoods within a couple of blocks and like you know you can just sit in your backyard and you don't know that there's like a giant yeah like office building know, 15 20 well okay 10 to 15 story office building hotel or apartment building like two or three blocks away from you um again that's not heaven necessarily but i think that's probably what he was maybe envisioning yeah i can see that but i mean again like again liberal democrat in the social egalitarian so you know he's trying to knock all these things out like this is actually not one quick fix it's a pretty crazy uh yeah. extravagant uh, bold plan for fixing america um although like the way he writes it doesn't seem that way but it is kind of like we're gonna bring back the craft and then we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna... <laughs> Um, I just kidding. so I, I also like didn't really understand what this was a the section on like suburbia and schools was it seemed less like wonkish than the others because there weren't very many concrete plans it was just kind right. of we'll kind of do politics and um, we'll just force suburbanites to accept um, like rezoning basically saying like you can't just hide away from the working class because again we're assuming the underclass doesn't exist anymore he realizes that people still want quote good schools meaning schools that are full of kids like my kids um and he doesn't like it social egalitarian so he's going to basically tell the governors to tell the suburbanites like um this ain't going to work anymore like you are going to have mixed mixed suburbs and if you don't we're going to raise taxes on you until you squeal and um you know or we can you know we can do it the hard way with the stick or we can do the carrot and you know we'll cut your taxes if you allow this to happen right and, you know blah 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 i mean it would have maybe helped his case if he went into like education reform itself not in the wishy-washy sense but just in the sense of like maybe people would feel better going to a more mixed school if they knew that the education their kids got wasn't going to be compromised either with bad teachers or with disruptive students. Cause I assume that's what, I don't know, you're a parent. You're probably concerned that the teacher is like suboptimal and that if there's even one crazy kid in there that you can't get rid of, it's going to yeah. ruin it for everybody. So I think, you know, that's maybe what a lot of parents are concerned about. Like it's okay if the plumber's kid is there, but if there's like the crazy person that lives in the woods, uh, that's a problem. And he doesn't really address that. He just seems to kind of say like people are kind of snobby, which is true, but it may be more willing to swallow the snobbiness if you kind of did to school, yeah. you did to welfare. And it should be pointed out that Mickey is a confirmed bachelor with no kids. <clears throat> sure, yeah. Which, uh, uh, as, as you say, as a parent now, <laughs> I am... As a father of a daughter, yeah. As a father of a daughter. No, I'm I'm a, a, much more, if, uh, if it's even more, I am now acutely aware of when I see certain policy proposals or people talking about policy in certain ways, I just look and see if they have any kids. And inevitably, <laughs> when you have somebody who, like, who is insane or like saying stuff that just is, they don't have any kids, right? So like Paul Krugman is like a number one example of this. What do you, uh, does he not have any kids? He is not. He has cats. Oh well, I mean, they're yeah. they're better than kids. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't. Uh, I do not dispute that part. Oh, uh, earmuffs, Penny, earmuffs. Um, <laughs> so, 
um yeah that that chapter was a little weird but again like it's very um yeah it's it's it goes with the rest of the book like he's not he like he's not kidding right this is not a sneak this is not like uh who's like some conservative like like a right-wing democrat that the republicans kind of pay off to kind of sneak around and present what is basically a republican plan plan under the cover of like liberalism this yeah. is not this is not that right this is not like a a neocon that's like you know trying to poison the well like no he's like seriously interested in ending uh, inequality in very uh, aggressive ways. Um, so, yeah, and, and you can see why both the right and the left would hate him. Right? Yeah, or or I should not say right, I mean, Republicans and Democrats would hate him. Right? He wants yeah. to. Uh, he wants Raise to taxes. in welfare, uh, reinstitute the draft. Uh, you know, raise taxes, uh, get rid of suburbs. Like, <laughs> yeah, so he, he's an equal opportunity uh, guy here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I agree with you that that section, that chapter was kind of not very convincing. Although, yeah, uh, in terms of his solutions, like you, you can see what he's talking about, especially sure. Sure. especially nowadays. Like, yeah, it's pretty segregated in a lot of places, and that's not good for social equality. Although it might be good for the kids in those schools and their chances of you know getting into Harvard and whatever else. Yeah. Uh, all right, so. So that's it. That's the book. Uh, what did you think? What's your? Um, I liked it. <laughs> I mean, again, so I, we didn't really talk about like how relevant is it to today, right? Uh, I don't know what the answer would be. Like, it, it seems like the things that he identified as problems, uh, excluding like welfare, which we quote fixed, um, they're they're still big problems, and I don't even know if they might have even gotten worse. Uh, it's just kind of the valence has switched to now where it's like Democrats are the party of like the elitists and Republicans are kind of making furtive flops in the direction of populism. But um, uh, it, it's good as like um, for identifying these problems. I don't know if the solutions have any traction anymore uh, or are they seem even less likely to happen now than than back then. Um, yeah, I think the relevance is that you can imagine a, a lot of this coming back into the conversation. In fact, it, you know, it kind of is like, do you think national service is back in the conversation? No, but like, I can imagine if the Natcons really, um, ascend, which it's still, the jury's still out. Mm -hmm. Um, and by the way, when I said earlier that, uh, this would end up in a draft of the poor, right? Sure, yeah. What I mean, what I mean is this: is that let's say you start going down this path that Mickey lays out, right? I think what would happen is that when the Democrats in, are in power, they would turn this into more welfare, as you said. And when the and then if Natcons are in power, they would say, "Well, we, okay, well, thank you for all these tools you've created. Thank you for this path you've set us on, and then do the draft of the poor." Uh -huh. like again so like a literal we are in the army now or a you're repairing roads and dams you're and no 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 you'd be you're repairing right but it wouldn't be but again i i'm being kind of uh uh cynical here not cynical what's the word i'm looking for like i'm being sarcastic here not what's the word i'm looking for like i'm exaggerating uh-huh uh but the point is if if you open this pandora's box you're being serious but not literal yeah um <laughs> I, I can see certain people saying, okay, 
um, let's just to go one step further. And so the idea would be to get rid of the underclass by requiring work, but not in the way that Mickey means it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think he, I think that the system that he and kind of lays out in the, the welfare reform chapters, yeah. it kind of is the draft. I mean, yeah. you have to do this or within a very short amount of time or, or maybe just immediately, like, you're done. Like, we're not going to draft you yeah. unless you are just drafted as a normal, you know, yeah. as we normally draft people, but, like, enjoy being a hobo. Like, you're going to be on the street or in a uh, in a church you know, shelter or something. Yeah, but we kind of um, have that now, right? Well, sure, right. But, uh, yeah, right. But it's not, it, you know, I guess it's not what he was writing about, right? Like, whatever we have now. And again, I, like you, don't know what, what happened <laughs> or, or how people are doing who would have been on welfare. But, right. um, you know, like that... Like I don't know if that what is are, relevant relevant anymore. Even you know, right, like they did do something to welfare. I don't know what it was, and like it's not the same problem. That's like for being a book written, you know, in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, and by the way, there are about two or three mentions of Donald Trump. Oh, so many. Yes, so funny. This keeps coming up. Um, yeah. Uh, for a book being written at the time, there is. Correct me if I'm wrong, but zero mention of drugs. I wonder yeah. what, what Mickey, I wonder what Mickey would do about drugs. Well, he's from Beverly Hills. <laughs> he would snort them off of a mirror. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, there might be some. Is there any mention? You're right. Not really. Yeah, yeah you would have thought it would have been like how we fixed the crack epidemic. That would have been like two chapters. Um, today's mess, right? Like he was prescient enough to ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, right. So I guess this is that's the that's the new underclass i don't know if the old one ever went away right but this mm -hmm. is the new underclass the one that this is fishtown as charles murray describes it right it's, it's white um but and it's not necessarily urban right it's rural and suburban but these are the the, the same problems although a lot less violent maybe are reflecting them as did like 1980s like ghettos right it's drugs it's out of wedlock births it's not working yeah um but, you know, it seems like it's a different issue, right? Like the, 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 the thing that he kind of harps on all the time in this book is like our booming economy is separating the classes, <laughs> right? And yeah. like one of his nightmares came true where we had um, a bunch of immigration, a bunch of free trade and, and automation. And a lot of those people that are now dying, you know, on the streets from fentanyl or in their haulers or whatever, or maybe the kids or the people themselves who, who lost the jobs, right, in the Rust Belt. Not everybody, but like, you know, these might have been the people that worked in a widget factory that got yeah. shut down because of free trade and automation, yep. which is another thing that he, at least now, talks about a lot. He, he actually doesn't talk about that, those two issues no. that much. No. I mean, he, he kind of even says, like, you, you can't get rid of free trade. That's stupid. But, um, you know, you can we can address these problems in other ways. And he, and he doesn't talk about immigration either, which no. is, is like now, like his number one animating policy things right now is immigration and the child uh, tax credit, which is just an expansion of, or, or a re, you know, re, uh, reinstitution of an unchecked 
AFDC. Now I understand why he uh, he goes apoplectic <laughs> every time. Apoplectic. Yeah, every time uh, Bob mentions it on the podcast, he, Mickey just like actually it's vice versa, right? Yeah, Bob, Bob, mentions Bob does it not to, mention it to to <laughs> goad Mickey into losing his mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, but here's uh, the thing. Um, so my my point though is, and I'm being I'm exaggerating when I when I talk about drafting the poor. But my point is, you can see the skeleton of a natcon. Uh, agenda here right immigration yes. trade workfare um uh, uh public spending more uh more focus on you know populist goodies etc so right i mean i think all the standard like libertarian or right-wing conservative critiques are in play here like this is a massive government spending massive intrusion into your life uh, the draft <laughs> telling you where your kids can go to school. Uh, what else are we missing here? Right. Oh, oh no, I mean, just, just uh, health care, nationalized health care, all destruction of, uh, of prosperity, right. Of, of prosperity, at least for most people. Well, I mean, I guess his claim is like, not really. Right. Yeah. I mean, but he's wrong about that. Right. Well, sure. Right. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but again, liberal Democrat. So, yeah. um, uh, yeah, I mean, whether any of this would work, I probably not. I mean, you know, when you're talking about reforming government programs, it's always nice to hear kind of different ideas. But of course, inevitably, everything gets worse that these people touch. Would it would it work, right? The, the question about yeah. would it work is by what standard, right? Like Mickey is very upfront about this is going to be costly and inefficient and wasteful. Yeah. So he's not saying it's going to work on those margins. He's saying it's going to work in getting us more social equality and i don't know i mean people talk about you know how cuba has great health care which it doesn't but like how cuba's got great health care and i'm like yeah sure if you destroy if you grind your entire society and economy for one to to maximize one margin congratulations you know right yeah uh, i mean the soviet union like went to space and yeah. has nukes and uh, like rocket ships and space shuttles but like yeah, I don't know. So did America. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. And they were probably better. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, again, all the standard critiques just apply here. Um, and the Matrix like, the, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that your solution, of course, is we're all equal in the eyes of our robotic overlords. We're just uh, we're just batteries for them. Um, I guess not no, everyone. Right. Jerry, you're, you're free. No, the Matrix. The, when I say the Matrix, I don't mean people will go willingly into oh sure matrix. they will <laughs> people are going to go into a vr matrix and at very low little cost to the public will live out uh, a fantasy life of pleasure and um that's how you and that's how the underclass is solved and i'm not saying i want this i'm saying I, this is <laughs> to be clear to mm -hmm. be sure i'm not saying i want this necessarily uh and the people who refuse will have to change the diapers <laughs> of the people in the matrix right so yeah. this this is what i foresee okay this is what i foresee it's possible i mean it's gonna look better than meta at least <laughs> are we gonna have legs in the matrix <laughs> uh yeah we have to put peter Thiel in charge of that co government contract not not sucker nerd <laughs> not that kind of put the people making video games in charge of it yeah um yeah yeah i mean uh i guess is it is it workable probably not right like these ideas are incredibly intrusive 
But uh, he, so he actually has a whole chapter called winning, right? Is that what it's? I yeah. We, I know we were about to end this thing. And he talks about like, how do you convince Democrats, right? This is a book for Democrats to at least I, try. And how do you, and then, and part of convincing Democrats is, is making a plausible case for how you would convince the country, the voters. Oh yeah. 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 That's what I mean. Like politicians. Yeah. Like he's trying to convince uh, democratic politicians that they could win with this yeah. agenda. And I found it totally unconvincing. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, this might explain why he's not a senator. Right. Because his ideas are, okay, well, they're probably wrong, right? So we, we agree on that. But that doesn't stop you from winning uh, political office. But maybe just too too different, too disruptive. Too, too the, much. Yeah, like just, yeah, like they have their interest groups. Correct. And even though they've changed since the 19th, like the late 80s, early 90s, like very much so. Like the current interest groups are probably also not interested. Right. Like the the screaming purple-haired um, wokesters are not interested in living next to plumbers. Or going to the draft. Or going to national service or any yeah. of that, any more than um, Michael Keaton's character was or whatever. And, My, yeah. Michael Keaton, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> and you know what they really like? Yeah. They like they really like um, the internet and Amazon deliveries, right? They do not care for the post office and libraries. No, they all have fucking social anxiety and don't want to talk to anyone and right. just have pets or like robots to hang, <laughs> to hang out with. I mean, or robots. robot pets. This is your dream too, Jerry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Don't ever talk to anyone. Just pneumatic tubes everywhere. Uh, leotards <laughs> <laughs> unitards and uniforms um yeah i mean i but nevertheless nevertheless despite him being incredibly wrong and um quixotic like it'd be i would love a, a new book by him like in the age of trump like put all yeah, the yeah, energy yeah. you have um yeah take all that take the advil um <laughs> the no not advil he takes um what did you say Sudafed, yeah, yeah. Get, which is which is a methamphetamine. <laughs> strength Sudafed. Um, take a break. Okay, go do the parent room every other week and um, go write a book. It'd, it'd be interesting. It, it would pause. It would create so many waves because, like, he was in like DJAF mode here, even in 1990, and like 40 years later or whatever, he's all right, Sally. So next time. Oh, next time. Right. Your pick. My pick. Life Force. How new breakthroughs in precision medicine can transform what? the quality of your lives and those you love. What are you talking Tony about? Robbins. No, huh? no, 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 no. No. Oh, hey, no. That sorry. was my, That was our secret. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That, uh, that was, was WAP after dark. That was the uh, people who viewed this also viewed. Sorry. Okay. Uh, this is this is out. <laughs> next time. Outlive the Science and Art of Longevity by Peter Atia, MD. That's right, MD, motherfucker. Uh huh. Um, you were interested in this too. Don't don't I act like am. I'm... I I couldn't okay. help it. I couldn't help it. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I I need to get back on the longevity on the train. The longevity train. Yeah, I want to see how it ends. <laughs> oh, you know the Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. Well. You just we'll want to see. be plugged. You want to be. You want to be around long enough to be plugged in. There you go. And live out your last few months as uh, another <laughs> eighty years. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, bye, Stably. Bye, Jerry. See you next time. Bye, Stably. Oh no. See you next time. See you next time.